Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How are you doing? Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of the Weekly Typographic. We have some very fun articles. Most of this week was found by our good friend Hugo. We've got some cool, like you're saying, very international news. Uh, yeah, get ready, everybody. Which I think we have a pretty international audience. So, you know, I'm all for it. That's fairly true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm especially excited about your nerd alert this week because mm-hmm. it is on a topic that I know more than I would even like to know about it. <laughs> but such a good way to describe <laughs> your knowledge. <laughs> it's, it's an extremely useful one. And because we focus so much on cool and interesting history the last few weeks, we wanted to focus on something that was like educational and practical and useful. So stay tuned until the end for that fun nerd alert for this week. Totally. And we put out a little teaser on Wednesday on our Instagram, kind of explaining what open source fonts are. So if you enjoyed that, you're definitely going to enjoy what else we got planned for you. And that was such a cool looking thing you designed, Olivia. I really loved that. I love the cards. Thank you. Thanks. There's going to be a lot more where that came from. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So first up, what do we got? First up is capsize. Flipping how we define typography and CSS. And I'm going to rely on you to tell me what this is. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I found this. This is a new open source, not yet library, but soon to be library. At the moment, it's just like an open source site based cool. on some code that this uh, really interesting dude I found on Twitter, he started putting together. Okay, what it does is it helps you align text to a baseline on the web, which historically has been super flipping hard. I mean, the web is a weird and malleable place, right? Like a a browser window can literally be any size. Computers have different size screens. People have different size zooms. It's hard to line stuff up. When you say line stuff up, do you mean two different columns of text? It's hard to align that on a baseline or what? What is tough to align on a baseline on the web? Well, yes, for sure, that is tough. And even one column of different elements is tough to align in any kind of consistent rhythm. Like if you're used to InDesign or some kind of Mm -hmm. page design program, you could set a baseline grid and then say, I want the text to stick to this grid. So even, you know, if the grid is every one and a half units Mm -hmm. and you tell your text to stick to it, you know that the bottom of that text is going to stick to that line every one and a half units. Yes. That doesn't exist on the web. It just does not exist. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And because fonts are all spaced differently internally, Mm -hmm. that's even more reason why it's just hard to make that look like it's lining up on the web. Okay. Okay. And so the interesting technique that was applied here, which I think was somewhat invented, somewhat adapted from things other people have done. Like you upload the actual font or you pick it from Google fonts um, or you put in a URL for the font and you, Mm -hmm. you choose your font and it analyzes the metrics of the font. 
So it actually figures out where the baseline is at the bottom of the letter, how tall the ascenders are, how big the, the M and like the, the box, the bounding box that surrounds the letters are. Got it. Actually analyzes that and then basically gives you CSS specifically to adjust for that font's metrics. Mm, which is okay. just like detail that browsers don't have built in. Browsers are like, hey, you want to set a line height? You can do it. It's not going to lie to the baseline, but we'll call it a line height. And mm, this is like, okay. hey, if you want to actually align to a baseline, here's some hacks with exact, like extremely specific numbers. I think a lot of our web designers and digital audience, which I know is out there, will appreciate this. I think basically the, the nice thing, even if you don't care about all of that detail of how it actually works, the nice thing is this is like a code generator. You pick your font, you check a couple boxes, and it gives you code that you can paste in that will basically just make your text align better on the page than you could by hand. Cool. I like that. Yeah, I could see myself using this. Now that you name it as a code generator, that does add an extra function to this tool. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is like there's not a lot of description to what this thing is. I follow him on Twitter, so I saw him like talking about making it before he released and stuff like that. So I like had some extra context. I wish he made this more of like a giant marketing page to be like, this is why this is important. Very cool. I'm very excited to share this with all of our digital friends. Next up on the list, five tips for perfecting your portfolio presentation. That is like some alliteration in there. I like that. I approve AIGA. I knew you would. You always would. <laughs> also, it's great because last week we had an article about showing your work and what do you do if you don't have a portfolio and like how do you get clients even if it's spec work and whatever. So I'm interested about this article too. Yeah, absolutely. I've read through this. They have two experts in the field and they have, you know, not necessarily like very technical advice on how to make your portfolio stand out, but good advice about being your authentic self and showing your process, not just your final product and giving you advice on how to give them basically a value proposition of what assets you are going to be bringing to a company and just like good reminders of things that people tell us, but we need to actually implement when we're applying for jobs or trying to get a freelance gig. Did you have a favorite? Because this was kind of a list of tips, basically. Hmm, I did have a favorite and maybe because it's a tip that I've implemented. <laughs> and it's actually not a bullet point tip. It's at the very end. Let's see who said this. Meg Lewis, who I follow as a freelancer, but she says, I look for individuality and personality throughout the portfolio experience, whether that's the copywriting in your about section or the Easter eggs you have hidden throughout your website, which I have always, I'm not the best copywriter, but I always put so much just like effort into making sure my writing sounds like me and not just like this thing that I usually put on when I'm just like writing about myself professionally. I think you, Micah, have taught me how a voice can be really powerful through the writing I've done for the league. And I do have some Easter eggs on my site. There's some- That rollover. I know very well. <laughs> and you helped me make that happen. There's some rollover gifts that I always appreciate when I see other people do it. If I was to hire someone, not saying I'm in that position at all, just those extra little touches would make me a little bit more intrigued about the person behind the portfolio. It, yeah, it really brings out who you are across from just what you've done. Yeah, did you have a favorite tip? 
Uh, yeah, I think because it's always been the hardest for me, which is sell yourself only on what you really love to do. Uh, That's a tough one. Like, I've always been a person who I'm like, well, I don't know anybody who can code, so I guess I'll learn to code. And it was mm-hmm. not even necessarily about I want to code. And then because I could do that, suddenly I started getting work coding and didn't really necessarily question, is this the work that I want to be doing or not? Mm -hmm. And especially, I think a lot of freelancers of any type, whether you're a freelance designer or whatever else, it's hard to get over the feast or famine, right? Like, yeah. We were just clients talking come, about this. Yeah, totally. Like clients come and they, they show up uh, in January and you're like, shoot, I'm overwhelmed. I have so much work. And then by March, you're like, I have zero work coming in. And in that mode, it's real hard to be like, you know what? I don't like making logos. I'm not going to take jobs like that, especially when it's in March and you're like, shoot, I need work you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes maybe you are good at making logos, but you just don't want to do it. It's very okay to say, no, I'm not doing that right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, follow what's actually fueling your creativity, I think is so important as a freelancer and something I've dealt with where I do have the impulse to take like any job that comes my way. But every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something. And that has really changed my perspective. Mm, I like that. I mean, I have certainly learned, especially this year, I've been struggling with burnout a lot this year. Mm-hmm. And it feels like creativity is a fire that can actually burn out. Mm-hmm. Not permanently, you can always make a new fire, but that like it takes work to start a fire. And once you get to that point of it, it's not burning anymore. You got to like change the way you look at things. Absolutely. I think that's, yeah, definitely a good one to share with our audience. And, you know, go check this out. I think it's just good reminders, even if it's stuff you've heard before. We, us creatives need just a little bit of boost of energy and path in the right direction sometimes to make the right decisions for our career. Our next article um, is from It's Nice That, and it's reporting on a project that I've actually seen a lot this week. I think through, like, Twitter and all the design design Twitter. And that is Astrid Stavros project with Pentagram. And that's creating a bold new brand for Off Limits, which is a new cereal brand. I I don't know what to make of that, like a cereal for adults. It's very weird looking. I don't get it. What am Um, I missing? Is it tasty? Shepard Fairey's studio worked on the illustrations. So you got some like pretty celebrity designer names on there. And it's, you know, it's not revolutionary. <laughs> it's but legit it's just sounds like, hey, we know a couple very famous people in various creative titles. So let's get together and do something weird. Yeah. I mean, I think it's nice design. And that's, I mean, that's really what the article is kind of about here is like, hey, here's the background of what this thing is. But hey, look, they made a custom typeface for it, right? Yeah, yeah, they did. There's not a ton of background on the process behind the typeface, but I like that there's little handwritten notes at the very bottom of sparkly, flirty, sweet slash spicy, romantic. And it's like, (laughs) these are are not serial terms. It's kind of funny. It can be good inspiration for someone that's trying to create, you know, 
a really playful brand that feels really young, even though it's marketed towards millennials. Yeah, I'm guessing totally. it's marketed towards millennials. I don't know. But hey, it's cool looking. Yeah, we're checking out. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the other side of the branding spectrum, Australia. Australia has a new brand. I mean, this is this is less funny and much more serious, I feel. It is like a very serious looking rebranding they had. I guess they used to use a kangaroo as one of their classic icons for Australia. Makes sense. They got rid of it because they... It's interesting. They got rid of the kangaroo, which I just even like the idea of a kangaroo a little bit better than this logo. But this logo is meant to show one of the nation's flowers. And it has this kind of like more serious sans serif. And it's because Australia wants to position themselves as a place that drives political, commercial, and economic success. So they're kind of going down the route of like more serious country. We're getting rid of the kangaroo. We have real ambitions and we can like be amongst everyone else fighting for power in politics and economy and technology. So interesting to see that's how they interpret what it means to be an economic power. Which I'd agree. I think this does accomplish that. I look at this compared to what it used to be or even, you know, even standalone. And it's like a very serious sans serif surrounded by, even if you don't understand the flower reference, surrounded by like a gold seal. It's not a joke, you know? It looks very scientific, actually, even though it's Mm. a flower. Or like the head of a benevolent giant corporation. Yeah, I can't say it's my favorite thing, but it's worth saying that it's out there. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's a government, so they're, they're not trying to win popular, you know, awards by making something creative and never done before but they are legitimately just trying to position themselves as a more serious entity to be taken more seriously. And I think in that way, this works. Yeah. Yeah. One of the details I I really like that they highlight is that the R on Australia, they kept as a little like flippy end, right? Like a custom flippy thing. I think to mimic the tail of a kangaroo. Yeah, no, they did. They did. I don't know how I feel about it, to be quite honest. It makes the spacing kind of bigger between the R and the A that I'd like it to be. That's fair. It does look more like Australia. Yeah. So, I don't know. But, hey, it's a country that just rebranded themselves. That's news. And I think yeah. like people should go check it out, regardless of how you feel about the design. Totally. So, on the more fun, playful side of the design world... You know, we're just like moving around the world today. We're going over to London. We're going to London, everybody. <laughs> that was so bad. I was I was not prepared to do the accent and then I just did it anyways. That was awesome. I love it. Okay, so another It's Nice That article. Awesome. It's about Chloe Legrette, who's a graphic designer um, from London. But I think as a passion project, she created this typeface called Migma. And Migma translates as mixed in Latin. And so she kind of wanted to create, but also experiment with this typeface using traditional and contemporary techniques. So um, 
kind of like while she was designing these letters, she was experimenting with laser cutting letters from plywood, letter pressing, um, using a traditional press and you're documenting it with black and white film. And then finally she made a zine using a Rizzo printer, which creates like a very kind of old school aesthetic. What is a Rizzo printer? So I don't have the definition of what Rizzograph means exactly, but it, creates really like kind of unique grainy textures and I think it's similar to screen printing so you use a limited amount of inks to like create printed images Hmm, okay I'll have to get back to you on that there's some great images that you can see to accompany this I think it's worth noting that the typeface is interesting it's not necessarily like up my alley for my favorite kinds of designs but I think it's worth noting this article because she experimented with all these different processes and saw how the letters look when they were laser cut, saw how they look when they were in letterpress. And I think kind of seeing your designs in different forms can be really inspiring for like how your design can ultimately live in other people's hands. And I think we've talked about the power of playfulness and experimentation in design. And this design kind of does feel like art school. This ultimate presentation Mm, of it. Yeah. Because I remember in art school, I decided to make a Gaudi font out of one centimeter uh, math cubes that were used for elementary schools. And I learned a lot about Gaudi's typeface by doing that. That that is where the Gaudi obsession started. That's that's where the Gaudi's obsession started, exactly. Um, and that's how I found the League of Movable Type. Aww. <laughs> no, you're right, though. Yeah. Like, art school is a, a perfect opportunity to experiment. And sometimes it's hard to experiment outside of art school. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's also inspiring to see how people are experimenting just to, you know, give you a little push to be like, hey, maybe that, maybe that thing that you wanted to build but like didn't have a good excuse to build you could just build it yes i that's if there's any takeaway i feel like that's it so definitely check it out it's great to see the letters living digitally living in printed world and living in a physical wood laser cut world yeah yeah totally all right before we move on to the next couple articles we wanted to take a minute in the middle to have a little space basically for sponsorship. We have been looking for sponsors and we figured in the meantime, we could say thank you to all of the league members who have kept us going. It's really awesome. We have, uh, you know, we have our free newsletter and then you kind of get extra awesome stuff for being a paying league member, which this week, an example, there's, five fonts that we found that are like, hey, here's a cool font you might be interested in using and four uh, designer gigs. Some of them were like part-time and freelance gigs. I think uh, a couple of them were remote, that kind of that kind of good stuff that you get if you are a member. And so it's at the moment, five bucks a month and we'll be going up as we- Well, we have, as we expand our membership, uh, program. We have a lot of stuff in the works getting close to finalization, but I'm just going to say it's going to be incredibly valuable resources and tools and educational programming that we're, you know, we're teasing a little bit of what we have planned in the future. So if you like some of the educational resources that we're trying to be like putting out with our newsletter, but also what we're creating internally, there's going to be more of that for members as, you know, we continue to grow the league and make it thrive in the new world that we're in today. Yeah. So if that sounds awesome to you, then get your foot in now and help support us in making this kind of stuff. And 
get first dibs at all that cool stuff that we've been teasing about. And there's some other goodies that come with all that cool stuff. But As if that's not also m- a tease. Yeah, but not going to say anything else. <laughs> all right, so... Um, Next awesome article that we have. We have two more articles and then your sweet nerd alert, right? Yep, yep, yep. Next article is an article about a typeface that was made to bring the emotion of the Black Lives Matter protest online. So this typeface was launched by a studio, Vitamin London, and the typeface is called Topic Type BLM. And they gathered a lot of the lettering that they saw on the protest signs in the Black Lives Matter movement, which is interesting because this studio is not in America. It's in London. So it's great to see that this has been an internationally, you know, impactful movement. Mm-hmm. And they want to capture the soul of the Black Lives Matter movement and bring it into typography design. So they grabbed a bunch of different lettering they've seen being used on protest signs and created a typeface with the designs it's actually a free typeface which is good i think that makes sense for what the purpose of this is but it's free to anyone who can prove they have made a donation to a black lives matter related organization oh i like that even more okay yeah so that's cool so uh there's no link in the article to it but you know there's enough to google to be able to find it Mm -hmm. and it's moving the movement into a digital space with a super accessible typeface So that's exciting innovations going on in the typeface world. And finally, we're going to round off this week with another football club, which is not football that we know in America, but football, European football. I guess we didn't Um, even acknowledge that last week. We just were like, oh, it's Icelandic football. So that means that it's American soccer. Uh, And this is my second favorite country in the world, Mm. which is Scotland. So this is an article kind of outlining the process of their new rebranding. They have a new crest, and it's actually quite a really attractive crest. Really great typography, kind of honed in what they had existing. They didn't change it a lot, but they made it cleaner. They put some new typography that feels way more polished than what they had before. And they show the process. There's some really great sketches in here that I appreciate of their mascot, which is a lion. So it's fun to see kind of like the analog to the digital transformation. They have a few teasers that they put out. They show their typeface that they created that accompanied this. I do have to say, Anyone watching the teaser has the most epic soundtrack to a logo redesign I've ever heard. We may need to figure out what it is. We can use it for Nerd Alert. Micah, we have to investigate. And you have to watch it because if our Nerd Alert intro is that epic, I really, I just, I'd be thrilled. It is extremely epic. Like, I I feel like... (laughs) I don't, I don't know how to describe the, the form of music. It's like some kind of EDM, right? It really hyped me up. Like, maybe I got to do this for my portfolio and I'll feel more <laughs> excited about it. And like, but like the images are flashing with a logo on different backgrounds and shows are different patterns. They have some really good looking designs. So I, I just like really got hyped up from this. <laughs> That's fun. And it's cool to be able to see the drawings that they did, the sketches in notebooks and like the paintings that led to them drawing the the elements digitally too it's cool i love how the typeface is like looks like this old roman you know stone chiseled kind of look to it but it feels really modern which i'm into i have to say that that actually you know i spent like a this isn't a ton of time but i spent like a, a month or so in scotland and i feel like typefaces like that 
I, I was in Edinburgh, not Glasgow, where this is based, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of shops that have a typeface like that that is like oh. chiseled into the stone from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So it's kind of cool. You know, I mean, that's what they're talking about. I think when they when they say that this was referenced on a timeless typeface, but modernized. I love that we keep on talking about stone lettering on this podcast. Yeah, it's weird how much that has come up in the last few weeks. I'm into it. It exists. People should know it. (laughs) Um, So good, good stuff. Guys, it's time. It's time for Nerd Alert. What are we talking about this week? Because we didn't even really tease that. Boom, boom, boom. We're talking about licensing. Font licensing specifically, right? Yes, and not just licensing in general. I can't tell you about the world of licensing existing outside of fonts, but I can tell you about font licensing. And it's not as scary as many people think. If you just do a little bit of research, a lot of stuff starts to come together. As graphic designers, we are responsible for understanding licensing so Mm. that we're moving through our practice legally and appropriately. I'll say that. I'll also say that all the leak fonts are open source, which means free to obtain, free to modify, free to redistribute, free to use, free to use for digital projects or print projects or in your app. Yeah. So um, we'll start there. So leak fonts are the easiest to understand the licensing. It's everything else that gets a little bit tougher. And what's the one thing that you can't do with open source? Micah, you know this better than I do. Well, I I guess there's two things I think that you can't do with open source. One is you can't say that you made something that you didn't. Like you're allowed to modify the typeface, right? But if you modify it, you're not allowed to say you made the original, right? Seems reasonable. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think a lot of people need to know and should know is that you can't directly sell the typeface. You can sell stuff you have made with the typeface, like I make a t-shirt, I use Leak Spartan on it, and it looks beautiful, and I can sell that t-shirt for a million dollars. But I can't put up a website saying, buy League Spartan for 30 bucks, because mm-hmm. it's open source. That's really it. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Fonts. We're talking about fonts, not typefaces. Typefaces are the design. Font is the software. So... When you, you're not licensing a typeface, you're licensing a font. We're going to start there. Fonts are a piece of software that you purchase the ability to use. You do not own fonts unless you created the font. Correct? Is that Correct. a summary? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That's a thing people, I think, confuse all the time. Because you're like, I'm paying for this font. I'm buying the font. But really, you're buying the ability to use the font. The person totally. who made the font still owns that font and can take it off the market or change it or do whatever they want with it. It's like when Adobe products like Photoshop were not Creative Cloud, let's say like CS5, I think that's the last version I had, you would buy a license to use Photoshop on your computer, but you did not own Photoshop, correct? Yeah. Cool, cool. So what is the license? There's a license doc called the EULA, which is the End User License Agreement. And that outlines the rules and limitations on how to use the font. And depending on how you plan on using the typeface, the font, sorry, rather in print or web or an app, you'll need a different license depending on how you use it. So that's like a good groundwork to start. The common licenses 
are a desktop license, which I think everyone's a little bit more familiar with. It's, you know, you purchase the license, then you can download the font, you can use it on your desktop, use it in Illustrator, InDesign, Photoshop, great. And with desktop licenses, there's typically commercial and personal licenses sometimes. There's also licenses to use a font on the web. So if you're on a website and you can highlight a piece of text, that is something that needs to be licensed that's live. And then there's apps, which also require a separate license because, you know, that's also embedded in the software. And there's EPUB licenses, which is required because, again, it's dynamic, it's embedded. There are also several other licenses that exist that are less common. There's server licenses, I believe, for SAAS, SAS. We just SAS. say SAS. Yeah. Yep. Software as a service. Um, but that's also, also like a server license is also a thing. I think you have plenty of experience with working at a big company. They'll yes. buy a font and they'll put it on a server for for all of their employees to use. So everyone's sharing it. So it's kind of like a little bit pricier usually and, and at least different than one person using it, right? Totally. I was at Penguin Random House. I think they had like 40,000 fonts. It was crazy. Oof. Yeah. And there was there was like a person, I think his name was Richard. And you always had to contact Richard if you had a font issue. And there was literally a font team. So every time you wanted to use a font on your desktop and it wasn't necessarily activated, you'd like email the font team. But yeah, and you know, there's certain licenses you have to get. I think I read there was a foundry that if you're a company that makes more than $25 million a year or something, you have to get like a different license because you're just a larger corporation. Different stuff like that. Which I guess I guess that's an important thing to understand is that there is no uh, definite standard to what a font license entails. It's just that anyone who makes a font can come up with any rules for how they want to sell and how they want to allow you to use your font. It's just a lot of uh, type designers do very similar things. So there's kind of these categories of similarity, but there's no legal standard where you have to do X, Y, Z. And so that's why it's often really tough for people who uh, aren't super familiar with this topic to mm-hmm. buy a font and accidentally use it incorrectly because, you know, you basically have to read every license for every font that you buy to know what you're allowed to do with that font specifically. Yep. Okay. You know, that probably sounds overwhelming. And I think that's why a lot of people have grown to love open source fonts because it's not overwhelming. You can just use it and feel confident with it. Yep. And, you know, especially if your business is growing and, you know, there's different applications that you need the font for, like it starts, it starts getting a little bit more complex and we're going to kind of dive into that. So desktop font, like I said, is the most common A desktop license is the most common type of license, and you can use that for any static material. So a logo, posters, business cards, and it's it's on your desktop and you use it. And your license, you purchase a seat, which is the number of computers that the font will be on. So if it's just you designing, you know, one logo, okay, you probably purchase a license for one seat. But if you have a company of 20 graphic designers and you need them all to have the font installed on their computer, you're going to need to buy a license that offers 20 different seats for that. So that's kind of a detail in the desktop licensing. Or, you know, alternative to that is like your company with 20 different designers and you're like, hey, these three computers have this font installed, which is not convenient, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So prices for desktop licensing 
varies for that reason. But for the web, it's a little bit different. So when you use a web font, you're actually embedding the font onto your page and the license may depend on page views. So let's say your site gets less than 15,000 page views a month, you might be in a lower pricing tier. But if your site gets a million page views a month, you're gonna be paying a little bit more for that font license. And sometimes, I, I think this is a little bit less true now than it used to be a couple of years ago, but I think still because there, there's something of a premium on fonts that you have to include, like web fonts, and uh, I'm sure you're about to talk about eBooks and stuff like that, because you're basically, you have to give the font to the person who's looking at it in order to render the font on the computer. And I think traditionally type designers don't have tons of tools to maintain the security of that. And it was very easy, at least early on, to steal those fonts and use them for desktop or for your own website or whatever. And so there's still a little bit of a premium attached to something like web fonts because there's some more risk involved of the typeface designer losing their work. Absolutely. And, you know, that risk, that's directly associated with why web fonts have a different file format, correct? Yeah, yeah, that too. That's that's an effort to make it more secure, where, you know, a lot of the most recent modern formats that you would embed on a page are not something you can install in Fontbook or Photoshop or Word or something and start using. Very good to know. And then the... Other type of licensing we're going to talk about is for EPUBs, so publishing an ebook or even an app. You have to pay typically per app or per publication because you're, the font's going to be embedded in whatever you are outputting, and um, that requires a separate license. And there's actually a different pricing depending on different foundries. And you know the pricing for all of these, the desktop license or the web font or the app and EPUB licensing all depends on the foundry. I found quite a bit of variation between app and EPUBs though, of like what foundries are charging and how they're charging based off of how they want your font to be used for an app or an EPUB. But even things like cars. I mean, if you have a custom font for a car, that has to be licensed separately or a game. I always forget that graphic design is such a you know, integral part of a video game that those fonts mm. have to be licensed in a way too. So for more uncommon uses, there's going to be probably different licenses. Again, this is why open source licensing makes it kind of like way easier. I believe leak fonts have been used in movies and TV shows and print and web. So And I games know- and websites and ebooks and all manner of things because it's easy. Yeah. Which isn't to say that open source is necessarily better, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because the the fonts that exist that are open source, even though there's many more than there were 10 years ago when we kind of started this whole thing, it pales in comparison to the variety of creative and well-made fonts that are available that you can buy, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not always a one-to-one apples to apples choice. I mostly use open source fonts um, in my projects, but I also kind of sprinkle in, I use Adobe fonts, which if you're a Creative Cloud subscriber, you get access to all their fonts for web use and desktop print use. I think a lot of people might not realize that is still a business behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. 
just they're because not open source. <laughs> right they're not well some of them are open source and True. and a lot of them are not the majority of adobe's catalog is not open source but it's a little bit confusing because they give you this tool where you can just use it without paying directly for it right mm -hmm. uh and the reason that that exists like there's still licensing attached to that behind the scenes the reason it exists is because uh you're paying adobe and adobe is taking a chunk of the money that you are paying and paying out a handful of the type designers mm -hmm. for those fonts in, in like royalties, like depending on how much they get used. Yeah. I've noticed since Adobe fonts has expanded their cat, their catalog a lot lately, people ask me, is it okay to use this for commercial projects? And yes, if you have an Adobe subscription, it is okay to use. And that leads to commercial versus personal use. So some licenses have that differentiation. You can get this desktop license for free, but it's only available for personal use if you know, you're designing a poster for your room or an invitation, anything where you're not gonna make money off of it. You can typically use the font and then anything that's commercial is just anything that you could possibly be making money off of. So that's a good differentiation as well. So that's like a primer on kind of like the basic terms. From what I know, foundries are very willing to chat with their users and designers if they have a question about how to use a font. I mean, I think everyone wants to make sure that things are used appropriately rather than getting in trouble. NBC was sued $2 million for incorrect font usage in the past before, and several other companies um, have been sued. And it's usually the bigger companies that are. But it just shows you how serious this stuff can get and that you should be taking it seriously. Yeah, I think this was a good primer. And actually, this, this kind of leads me to mention that we actually have a book on font licensing. We sold it a long time ago, and we're going to work on revising it and updating it and making a version two. If this stuff seems especially helpful to you and like you you feel like you want to or maybe need to know more about this about things like which services have which licenses attached what you can do with open source what you can't do with open source what you can do with commercial fonts what you can't do and the details of all this stuff it's kind of a pretty important baseline fundamental knowledge to know about so no one talks about it in design school. Right, exactly. <laughs> like in design school, it was basically like, hey, we're art students, so let's just illegally share fonts, right? Mm -hmm. And as you graduate and start making money with any of this stuff, or, or even honestly, if you aren't a designer, but you have to design stuff, this is like kind of fundamental knowledge. So we're revising that book. It's going to be, we're working on actually a whole catalog of educational materials to include so if that's an interesting thing you kind of want to maybe get a beta preview of send us an email because we're going to be yeah. working on making a version two of that yeah i'm really excited and that's like in in the mix of many other materials we plan on publishing very soon and that's one of those things that i think we need to keep affordable too because it's like not a fun topic, right? Like nobody's like, oh man, I would love to read a book about font licensing, but because it's so important, at least, you know, I, I think our goal is going to be to keep it a very affordable book so that basically everybody can say, okay, fine. I will learn about this. Totally. Totally. All right, Micah, that was a good one. I yeah. Mean thanks for that awesome educational primer, Olivia. 
you definitely helped because you're kind of the licensing expert. So I'm glad I was able to like run by my ideas. Yeah, but you're like the fun, energetic one who is really good <laughs> at relaying information. It's a good discussion and a much needed one. One that I need refreshers on. Honestly, I should read up on font licensing every couple of years because I actually do read up on my font licensing every couple of years. And I'm like, oh, that's new. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. So good, good stuff. All so right. hopefully helpful to everybody and hopefully you enjoyed the fun links that we found this week. We will, as always, have even more fun next week when we uh, talk about whatever we find in the next week. All right, Mike. I'll see you next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.